Today on Keep Classical Weird, a little bit of a different format as I go through a personal discovery that has plagued me since I was a kid. All right, I have set myself up for this perfect pitch quiz. I have set it up to test me on all 12 chromatic notes, and it's totally random. Uh, Volumes up. Let's see how this goes. Welcome, friends, to episode 31 of Keep Classical Weird. I am your host, Casey Bozell, and today we explore a teeny bit about the phenomenon of perfect pitch. Now, there are a lot of different definitions and many conflicting ideas about what it actually means to possess perfect pitch. So I'll first share my own story, and then with the help of some definitions from an audiologist as well as some feedback from a friend of mine with perfect pitch, we'll determine if I indeed do have it. As many of you might have guessed by now, I have adored music my entire life. We had an upright piano in our family room that I learned on, one that my grandmother actually refurbished, but that's another story. I started to wonder if notes would sound the same to me at different parts of the day in different environments. This was just speculation in my little curious mind and certainly absent any sort of knowledge of perfect pitch itself. So in the mornings before taking the very short walk to my elementary school, I would play an F on the keyboard. I'm pretty sure I chose that key because the ivory looked a little different on our keyboard and it made it easy for me to find. I played the F. I hummed it to myself and tried to hang on to that note in my head as I walked. As soon as I was able to get access to a piano at the school, I'd hum the note that I had in my head and see how close I was. I practiced this for a while until I could pretty reliably hum an F out of thin air. And from there, with knowledge of half steps and whole steps, I built myself an entire scale. From here, I would try to test myself constantly. I would think about what key songs were in. I would break out my violin and play along to CDs. Well, mostly cassette tapes. Who am I kidding? And while my identification got better and better, and even today I still feel fairly confident in it, it always felt like a fragile skill that I could lose at any moment. It feels like it's kept in the opposite part of the brain from those sort of innate riding a bike skills. It's more like a language stored in the use it or lose it department. So the question I've always asked myself, this learned skill, this tenacious little part of my brain does that qualify as perfect pitch? My name is Mont Chris Hubbard. I play the piano. I'm a theater artist, a composer, an accompanist. This is my friend and colleague, Mont Chris, and he identifies as having perfect pitch. We discussed this at length, but before we jump in there, I just wanted to give us a working definition of a few things we talk about. Now, every so often you'll hear us throw out some numbers, 440, 445, etc., What we're referring to is the frequency or hertz of a certain pitch, which is how we can mathematically identify these pitches. The current pitch standard for most Western orchestras is a tuning called A440, meaning that the A above middle C is tuned to 440 hertz. So now let's dive in. I asked Montcris first how he would define perfect pitch. I think that I define it 
a little more loosely than some, and maybe that's because I think my my perfect pitch is maybe not as specific as some other people's, but how I would define it is that someone with perfect pitch can recognize the frequencies they're hearing and can and can name them. How specific of the frequency does it have to be for, in your mind, for it to be perfect pitch? For me, if you were to play something closer to an A than an A flat, and I say, oh, that's an A, that's good enough for me. I know that a lot of people would quibble with that. And and a lot of people who have perfect pitch and also people who don't have perfect pitch think that people who have perfect pitch are completely aggravated and driven crazy by music that's out of tune. It's never driven me crazy. Like, out of tune stuff has never driven me crazy in the slightest. Okay. The issue for me comes when it is so far off that it is closer to the next note in the scale that I have grown up with, which is the Western 12-tone scale. Mm -hmm. Then it becomes an issue, but it's not aggravating. It is rather confusing. You know, in a way that is not for other people. Okay. So you, your experience has not been the, you know, oh, I can't listen to the Vienna Phil because they don't tune to 440 or whatever it is. That's not. Not in the slightest. Okay. And so when I hear an A, when I hear, you know, I'm not hearing something and thinking, oh, that's 440. And I have never spent enough time with other people who have perfect pitch to compare notes to that details that granularly Mm -hmm. but i hear an a you know if it's 445 uh i might hear an a and think that's a little sharp for that a you know but i can't tell you oh that's five cents off Mm -hmm. so when it gets you know halfway to the a sharp it gets a little funkier gets very confusing and then you keep going sharp and you get to the A sharp and, and we're back to not being confusing. That's clearly an A sharp. Okay. So yeah. it also sounds like just almost reading in between the lines of what you're saying that your experience has been other people hear the term perfect pitch and they may picture like some sort of savant who, you know, whenever any sort of sound is echoed around them, they just, you know, oh, that's 332, you know, or they just uh, are so hyper-focused into something so insanely exact. But that's not what you, you would not agree with that definition or experience. Correct. Uh, uh, Yes. Now, there have been some people that I've talked to with perfect pitch who are closer to that Hmm. than I am, right? And... uh, Sometimes I hesitate to call to say that I have perfect pitch because the word perfect is so that's the end. Like you can't get more, you can't get further than perfect. Like, right. And obviously mine could be perfecter. <laughs> right. Right. What, if there was a different term for it? Yeah. Do you have one? Well, I mean, people, people say absolute pitch, don't they? Mm-hmm. Which I think that you use it to mean the same thing as perfect pitch. Since this discussion beautifully pairs art and science together, I also asked my good friend Leslie Grush for some working definitions. Leslie is an audiologist, but has a strong background in music, and I know this because she and I got our Bachelors of Violin performance together. She was the classmate known to have perfect pitch. 
After asking her to define perfect pitch, she wrote the following. Researchers refer to it as absolute pitch. They would define it as the ability to identify or produce the pitch of musical tones without an external reference. There are probably different levels of absolute pitch. There's a spectrum of how accurate people are at these tasks. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me. Absolute meaning that you sort of, you know where the where the pitch is tethered to in, in real life. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have an analogy that I use all the time for myself and and then occasionally to describe it to other people, which is I compare it to color. Okay. And I think this analogy works really well in some ways, and then it completely is not appropriate in some other ways that are actually also very instructive. Okay. So obviously or not obviously, color is also a frequency. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, humans can hear a certain range of frequencies and we can see a certain range of frequencies. Right. And we know the names of the vis- the visible frequencies we can see. Right? Right. Now, it doesn't work exactly the same because obviously for sound, for pitch, we have this weird phenomenon where a doubling of the frequency creates this octave. And so we call it the same thing because it sounds the same. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the doubling of the visible frequency, in fact, we actually can't, <laughs> we can't see enough of the, the visible range to actually see a doubling of the frequency. Right. Because our, our spectrum is, is a certain yeah. amount, like what there's like other people in the other people, other creatures in the animal kingdom that have quite a, a wider range of a spectrum, right? A wider range and also a more nuanced mm, okay. range. If we were comparing the visible range to the audible range, we're really talking, we're talking, we can see less than an octave. But we in that octave, we know the names of all the notes in that octave. We know there's red, orange, yellow, green, blue, and purple. And then we also know lots of more, like, harder distinctions. Like, I mean, we can call something burnt sienna or whatever <laughs> you know and some of us know what that means it's a good crayola pick by the way good work yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> olive olive green you know brick red navy blue and those are those are names for frequencies of light right that we all recognize because we've seen them a lot and the very first time we saw them and every time since we've had a name to add to it right like when when you walk out your house and you look up in the sky and it's a nice blue day, like the first time you did that, you didn't know it was blue, mm-hmm. but everybody around you knew it was blue right. and they told you it was blue. Right. And then you see it every day and you're like, oh, that's blue. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's blue again. It's very easy to learn. Right. Mm-hmm. So some of us and I'm talking about myself have deficiencies in the parts of our body that can make out color, called color blindness, right? Right, right. I don't know why I fixed it's a hard way to say that. Some of us are colorblind. Now, my colorblindness is when I call, when I tell people I'm colorblind, right, I always have to clarify that doesn't mean I can't see color. Mm-hmm. You're not seeing everything see, in a gray right. spectrum. Okay. Right. I can see color. 
I'm just not as good at identifying the colors. Okay. Like, I, I can still say that's green. Mm-hmm. I can still say that's red. But for me personally, I have a hard time between blues and purples. Mm. So when something is close to one, I can't really tell all the time. And also, it, it depends on the shininess. What I'm going to describe as the timbre of the color. There you go. I like it. So I am slightly colorblind. Like physically, I don't see well enough to, I think, help my brain determine the distinctions between colors. And so I have a hard time naming them. Hmm. Growing up, I played the piano from a very young age. And in fact, when I started, my mom wrote the names of the notes on the keys, right? And so every time I played an A, I knew it was an A. I saw the letter A, right? Playing the piano as opposed to the violin, I always heard 440 right. <laughs> and 880. And I always heard these very, very specific pitches, right? Whereas it might have been it might have been trickier for me if I had heard if someday my A was 440, someday my A was 442, someday my A was 438, whatever. <laughs> right. Um, it's just how it's how I live every day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But my A growing up, and 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 I do think I know I think more people with perfect pitch are play the piano than I think it's overrepresented as instruments go in perfect pitch people. And I think this is because partly because of this, especially people who play piano early, you, you spend a lot of time growing, you know, as your body grows and you, you're learning and you hear the note. And every time you hear the note, you know exactly what note you're playing. Mm-hmm. And so you have this reinforcement of this pitch that you hear over and over again. And probably I, am physically gifted in the same way that I am not physically gifted when it comes to my eyes. Like probably my ears are better mm-hmm. than the average person. Right. And that, that has helped me, but I do, you know, a lot of people always wonder if you can, if perfect pitch can be learned. Mm-hmm. And I think it can. So now the big test, I figured the best way to determine my own degree of absolute pitch was to give myself a test. There are tests online that play specific pitches and simply ask you to identify them. So I thought I'd give it a whirl. All right. So I've done this a few times throughout the day. And the interesting thing that I've found is that when I first started, I feel really confident and I'm often more accurate. But I am using both my identification of pitch memory to pick out the pitch of thin air. But as the notes go along, I then start to use my knowledge of relative pitch. And the two are kind of crossing in my brain. So I'm trying to identify both a pitch out of thin air and a pitch as it was uh, relative to the prior pitch that I heard. And I think both of those skills are running face first into each other and really messing me up. So I'm going to try this again. Let's see how this goes. That sounds like a C. There we go. It was I can get it really quick at the beginning. Okay, let's keep going. That's a B. A D. Yes. A B again. A B again. That's kind of unfair, isn't it? Um I think that's an E flat. Okay. Good. I think that's a D. No, it's not correct. I knew it wasn't correct. Shoot. 
Oh, it's a D flat. No, it's not. C. Oh, okay. So that one I was a whole step off. Okay. All right. So now I'm going to try and rest and like erase the pitch from my ears there. All right. Let's see what else I can hear. That's an A. Yes. That's a G. <sighs> okay, so I'm doing much better on this than I did earlier. If I take a break in between notes, I can find the note a lot more accurately. And if I t take them kind of rapidly in random fashion, I have a much harder time. So I guess it depends on the percentage. <laughs> right now I'm sitting at an 85.71%. The last question I asked my audiologist friend, Leslie, was, do you think perfect pitch makes you a better musician? Perhaps the perfect pitch community would let me in. <laughs> I'm definitely somewhere on the spectrum of having absolute pitch. Uh, but... Some people are absoluter than I am. Her answer? No. It's a party trick. And that's our show for today. My deepest thanks to Mont Chris Hubbard and Leslie Grush for their perfect, or perhaps absolute, input today. Our theme music is composed by not-dead composer Thomas Barber. Check out more of his stuff at thomasbarber.com. Web development support is provided by Tina at citybeautifuldesign.com. Keep Classical Weird is created and edited by me, Casey Bozell. Find us on Facebook and Instagram. For more music education in a bite-sized form, sign up for my Patreon and get access to bonus material as well as my video podcast, Casey Does Classical. You can find this all at patreon.com slash keepclassicalweird. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Stay safe and stay weird. <laughs>